You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 60 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio, as always this week, is my co-host, Matt Smith. Morning. Morning, Matt. How are you? A, a tired again. <laughs> we were tired last week. We were tired. It was so funny. I was, just, I was just saying before we started, I was listening back to the show and it made me laugh because we both sound like we'd smoked about 200 Woodbine, I think, before yeah. we did the show yesterday. Yesterday? Yes, no, last, last week. week. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> but you feel better today. Oh, very much good yes, good yes, good yes. we've had uh had a suitable little um toast uh Indeed. breakfast this yes. morning haven't we well, i've never lovely. come across date jam before what yeah. on earth matt matt has uh matt has been uh, sampling some date jam that i brought from oman it um, is officially amazing yes it's if, if you have not tried date jam you need to immediately put it into your life it is rather moorish it, it is very moorish mm. yes it's probably just as well i don't have any because i probably would just sit there with the jar and a spoon frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so you join us then uh, for episode 60. We're 60. 60. Zero, I know. We'll have to retire soon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he is hoping. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, the date today is the 9th of May. It is. And it's just yes. coming, oh, it's just gone past 10 o'clock it has. in the morning. Yeah. And a sunny morning here. Oh, <laughs> we've got, what's that? <laughs> That would be my phone. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Matt, Matt has got a new mobile phone, and yes. it, oh, it's obvious that Matt has got the uh, TARDIS <laughs> yeah, noise. Well, you see, as... no, well, I am Matt Smith, aren't I? You see, so oh, I, good, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel obliged to have the uh, the I tone. Forgot you yeah. are, you are, you're, you're Doctor Who I royalty. Am the doctor, yes. he is, he is Matt Smith, indeed. Yes, the, the, the doctor, is, yeah. yeah. Or I could be a, a ITV4 sports presenter. Uh, also, because there's also a Matt Smith. Blimey! I know, I know. Essentially, what what we what we've discovered is I've got a very common name. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you're Any... all in media. Look, that's good. Yes, that's indeed. Good. Yes, uh, on the plus side, on I have now side. silenced my phone, so that won't good, happen again. Humble good. apologies to all loyal <laughs> listeners. So, there's been a few uh, interesting <laughs> news stories this week indeed, to go yes. through. Busy show, and um, we've got uh, some military news. We've also got a pe- uh, segment again from Pilot Pip. Mm. Uh, What's it on this week? week? This week, it's all about having a cold. Oh, dear. Right. Yes. Okay. I didn't realise we'd sort of slipped into the realms of medical, but uh, good. Pilot, pilots with colds. Oh, so Pip, uh, Pip delves into that, which is he is actually um, uh, currently suffering from quite a bad, bad bout of man flu. Oh. So uh, <laughs> You know that can be fatal. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so Just then, ask your wife. I don't, oh, well, yes. Yes. I, uh, yes. I do get the occasional bout of man flu. Indeed. So we're going to kick off the show then, uh, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Yes. Let's go. So kicking off this week's uh, first news story then on the Jet. 2.com site and uh, jet2.com and jet2 holidays uh, have launched this week a brand new service for its customers flying from manchester airport called twilight check-in mm. the new initiative means people can drop off their luggage uh, at jet2.com's and jet2 holidays check-in area at terminal one between 3 uh, p.m and 8 p.m on the night before their flight 
All they have to do is make sure they have uh, checked in online beforehand and they can fully relax on the morning of their holiday, safe in the knowledge that their bags will be securely waiting for them at their destination. The brand new service is currently being trialled at Manchester Airport with the leading leisure airline and package holiday specialist looking to make it available at other bases in the near future. Steve Heapy, CEO of Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays, uh, said, We pride ourselves in giving our customers the very best service and we want to ensure they have the smoothest smart, uh, start possible to their holiday. Uh, Twilight check-in is just uh, one of the many new initiatives we have planned to make our flights and holidays even more hassle-free. We think it will be very successful and look forward to making it available to more of our customers in the near future. Mm, How about that one? one I think that's a good idea. Check, get, get, get rid of your cases the night before you fly. A great, a great idea in theory. Um, it's just that if if they're very capable of losing your bags when you've only checked <laughs> it in a few minutes before your flight, um, I don't know what what hope we've got of them putting it in safe storage for the following day. But you know me, glass half empty. Oh, glass half yeah. empty. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's a good. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. If you if you've booked a yeah. hotel oh, the definitely. night before you yeah. fly. Mm. And well, a lot of us tend to early. do it like yeah. a couple of miles away from the airport, so it's no biggie to just shoot up to uh, shoot up to the airport, drop off your bags, and then go and stay at the hotel. You know? it's, no, it's... I'm yet, I'm yet to use uh, Jet Two. I haven't um, mm. haven't tried Jet Two yet, mm. um, but they are they are a very popular airline. Right. Well, where where do they normally go? What's Man- they're based in Manchester. Based in Manchester. Yeah, and yeah. um, mm. they do a lot of the sort of the European destinations, okay. sort of Spain and, and stuff Man- like that. Manchester's and, answer to. Ryanair, basically. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And on, on that note, uh, Ryanair, this is on the uh, telegraph.co.uk. Uh, it's on their travel section. And the headline, how Ryanair charges British travellers more, which I don't think is a great shock to everyone. <laughs> uh, tele- telegraph travel research shows how Britons pay more for a Ryanair flight than any other nationality. As I've pointed out before, Ryanair has always been... This is not me. This is Nick Trend who's writing the article. Okay. As I've pointed out before, Ryanair has always been shameless in the way that it applies a one euro equals one pound exchange rate when converting its additional charges into sterling. This means that passengers booking and flying out of Britain end up being charged much more than those in the Eurozone. I was reminded of this distinctly unfair situation when the airline announced this week that it was cutting a couple of its standard charges. Ryanair's airport check-in fee has been reduced from 70 euros down to 45 euros. And its um, and its missed departure fee uh, has been reduced from 110 euros to 100 euros. <laughs> Read the press release, it says. The new fees convert to £33.54 and £74.53, respectively. But the release neglected to mention that for anyone flying from a British airport, the new fees would be much, much higher, at £45 and £100. So as well as its scale of additional charges, I thought I'd better have a closer look at the rates at which Ryanair converts its basic fares into different currencies. Let's take the example of a return flight from Stansted to Pisa in June. How much you pay depends on which extras you book. And uh, so I've selected two return fares on the same flight. One basic rate with no extras, which came out at £93.98, and one which included a 20 kilogram bag of luggage and reserved premium price seats, which ended up at £185.96. The passenger who makes a return journey from Pisa to London, however, will pay much, much less. Fares charged 
that in euros on exactly the same Ryanair flights come out at only £80.36 and £148.82 respectively. So the UK-based passenger is paying up to 25% more. Here is the basic breakdown. So we'll just look at this in, in detail now. So if you book your fare from the UK and you want to go from London to Pisa on the 13th of June, it will cost you £35.99. pence, Which is not bad. Not bad. Mm. Uh, Pisa to London on the 20th of June, so coming back, you know, sort of the end of the week, £57.99. Total fare without extras, £93.98. £70 is what they'll charge you for an extra bag or for a bag of 20 kilogram luggage <laughs> and then reserved <laughs> premium seats at £21.98, making the grand total £185.96. In reverse to that, if you do that while you're based in Pisa, so mm. if you're in Italy, uh, same flights, so it's the same day, 13th of June, and it's £39, uh, sorry, it's €39.99, which works out at £29.76. pence. Mm. Uh, then you've got the Pisa to London trip, which is €67.99, which is £50.60. So the total fare would be £80.36. You add the extra luggage at £52.10 and the reserve seating at £16.36. The flight is £148.82. Wow. The exact same flight, going the same way. So you're flying from London to Pisa and then Pisa to back. back, Mm. And it is... Essentially, that so it's a hundred. It's almost worth opening up a bank account in <laughs> in somewhere in Europe, and then just pinging across the money that you need yeah. to book your flight. I mean, seriously, it's what it's, it's over forty pounds, isn't it? Mm. Where are we? Yeah, it's it's quite a big saving. It's ridiculous between it's a, both of yeah, them. Yeah, it's it's basically with a forty pound saving with including mm. luggage. That's that's crazy on exactly the same flight. Ooh, Ryanair. Food for thought. Do you know, on an offshoot of this kind of similar Mm. subject, when when me and um, Gemma flew back from Oman last year, we, I obviously, as always, do, booked all my flights separate with various airlines, Emirates, Oman Air. Yeah. And booking the flight from here, from the UK to um, Oman was really expensive. Right. But when I booked the flights returning from Oman back to the UK, because mm-hmm. they base it on the exchange rate of the Omani Rai or the, the mm. currency in Oman, the flights were actually nearly, and I'm not joking, half the price right. to get home. Half the price. It's, it's, same distance. Yeah. Same planes. Same yeah. everything. They're um... You're going to be sound very geeky here, but there is a, a very useful service called VPN, Virtual Private Networking, which you could use to your full advantage here. Yeah. Because you can make it look like you were in a different country, book your flights, and then come home. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely food for thought on that one. Or, um, so, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not just Ryanair doing it then. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, the, all the airlines It, it depends what the exchange charging. rate I like. I yeah. think it's like in the country that you're mm. flying to. I think if... If you've got friends in the States who live there, it yeah. probably is cheaper for them to book you a flight. And you ping them the from money their across, side yeah. and you just sort of PayPal them or send them the or whatever, money yeah. the, across. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've all got these iBank details, haven't we? So yes. you can send money internationally. Yeah. yeah. Next story then. Indeed. On the Hearts and Essex Observer. Mm. And uh, savings for families flying from Stansted as passenger duty for under 12s is scrapped. Uh-huh. We covered this a few weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, so Stansted Airport has welcomed the abolition. Abolition. <laughs> abolition. Sorry. <laughs> of air passenger duty uh, for children under 12. 
From Friday, which was yesterday, Indeed. Um, millions of families who fly through the UK's fastest growing major airport will benefit from the abolition of the tax. <laughs> for some of this will cut the cost of going on holiday by hundreds of pounds. Indeed, uh, yes. Parents who uh, with, with young children or two young children could save as much as £142 on long-haul trips mm. to destinations such as the USA. The savings on short-haul trips will be around about £13 per youngster. Um, Air passenger duty, APD, is due to be scrapped for under-16s from March next year. So even bigger savings then, for, for especially for families, isn't it? I, yeah. I never really understood why families were punished so much. I mean, it's that whole um, going away during the summer holidays oh, yeah, thing, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I yeah. mean, it's uh, we've recently changed our policies at work because we, we sort of all raised the concern that we were taking our holidays during during school time mm. and um, we were literally paying again sort of 25 30% more for exactly the same flight it's, <clears> it's, <throat> i think it's, it's it's been a, it's been an absolute terrible thing for years now why mm. company all companies not just airlines but you know uh, travel companies yeah. charge yeah. more mm-hmm. because you want to take your kids away when they're on holiday Absolutely. there's a free school in norwich actually which mm. um, uh, i was doing some work out of very recently and what was quite interesting there is they've changed um when they take their holidays because i was doing this particular job during the easter holidays and i was convinced that it was perhaps a you know a family trip that had been organized by the school and it wasn't it was actually school children and so i I got chatting to one of the teachers and, and sort of said, well, I'm you know, very surprised because it's Easter and um, we're, you know, we're, we're picking you up from school. And she said, well, no, this, this school here, actually, the, they take their Easter break um, the, the week after everybody goes back. Hmm, that makes sense. Well, I think a lot of it was because parents were, one, were concerned about the mm. fact that they were being charged a lot of money to, to take their children out of school. You get fined now if you mm. do that. I think it can be as much as between 60 and yeah, 100 yeah, pounds per yeah. student. Uh, so, it's, so it's a lot of money. So it, may, you know, it adds yet more weight to an already expensive, you know. Yeah. To, to, but uh, yeah, I was, and that was, that was it basically. The policy is that they, they take their holidays a week later um, so that everybody, including the teachers, can can take advantage of cheaper holidays, and that, and you think, well, that's that's some, um, that's very very interesting. Yes. Any any families, any uh, any guys and girls out there with uh, mm. children, yeah. um, give us a drop us a line, drop mm. us an email. Let us know what you think about these um, the the you know the hike in costs Indeed. to take uh, your yeah. children away on holiday during yeah. uh, the summer season. We'll it's not uh, fair, we'll is it? I mean, because you want the children to have these new experiences mm. by going to these different European oh, yeah. or, or yeah. long haul or. Or ever, and uh, it's just not fair if you're, if you're going to be fined per child. If you've got two children, I mean, that's a lot of mm. money to, to add to your holiday, isn't it? So the next story Indeed. is one I picked out especially for Matt. Is uh, it? Because Matt's coach never breaks down, but <laughs> this one. It is on the uh, BT website, so bthome.com, and the headline, Heathrow travellers take drastic measures to catch their flights by walking down the hard shoulder. Passengers fed... Up with traffic delays, stepped off a stepped off their broken down coach and walked to the airport down the hard shoulder of the M4. This, ladies and gentlemen, is not recommended. I should stress. Please do not try this at home. Frustrated travellers to Heathrow took matters into their own hands by walking to the airport on the hard shoulder of the M4. Pictures taken by drivers and from a bridge above the M4 Heathrow Spur Road showed the passengers making their way down the motorway with their suitcases in tow after a build-up of traffic caused by a broken-down coach. 
There's some fascinating pictures here of these people. To, with I, suitcases I, and hand luggage cases just walking along the hard shoulder of the motorway. I do not know where to begin to say what, what, I, where, what is wrong with this story. But how far, I mean, it, it does say how far would you go? To, if you're a passenger yeah. on a coach and it broke down and you were not that far away from the airport mm. and you had paid, you know, umpteen amount of money for your flight, would you get off with mm. your case and I walk? guess so, yeah. I just, it, it just, <laughs> yes, is the answer. I probably mm. would, but I, I, it's just, it's terrifying. I mean, I guess the road is stationary, which is the whole problem in the yeah. first place, yeah. which is yeah. why they yeah. can't get another vehicle out to them, et cetera. But uh, it just, it frightens me, the, the idea of, you know, 50-odd <laughs> passengers walking down the hard shoulder I, I of think, a... I think next time, that I, if I ever go on a coach mm. to an airport, I think I shall definitely pack my high-vis jacket. Yeah, I, I strongly recommend it, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it does say, despite the drastic measures taken by the passengers, a Metropolitan Police spokeswoman said none of the pedestrians had abandoned their vehicles and no criminal act had been committed i suppose because if they were on the coach of course then uh, they were being driven weren't they but mm. um but but uh again drop us a line mm. what would you do in that situation yeah. what would you do as a listener would you uh you know uh, grab your cases your kids and uh march mm. the airport in uh, on the hard shoulder i have to put my coach driver's hat on and say that <laughs> that is not recommended walking down the hard shoulder of but a matt way. it wouldn't happen to you anyway because your coach never breaks down <laughs> Oh, I'm touching wood. Yeah, thanks for that. Great. <laughs> yeah. If I have a problem this week, you are so getting a phone call. <laughs> Touch wood. You'll never have any trouble. Never. Okay, next story then. Uh, STV News, uh, this one. And uh, this is quite an interesting one, Matt. We were mm. talking about this before we started the show. Yes. And uh, snowplough and fire engine to be auctioned off by Edinburgh Airport. Um, so the story is snowplough's uh, fire engine security scanners are among a catalogue of items to be um, oh, so auctioned off security, at Edinburgh so Airport. So a security scanner. <laughs> the, the auction of redundant equipment also includes arrival and departure signs, cars which patrol the airport perimeter fence, <laughs> terminal seating, and two old Fokker 27 aircraft used for fire training. Hmm. A hangar full of more than 400 lots are expected to attract interest from other airports, including those in developing countries. The inventory includes conveyor belts, TV monitors, computer screens, and unused barcode scanners still in their boxes. Edinburgh Airport is expected to make several hundreds of thousands of pounds from the sale, which will be used to fund future improvements. Uh, a Cobra fire tender is likely to go for around £40,000, and the security scanners are expected to be the items that attract the most attention. The scanners themselves could go for as much as £20,000, while the uh, vehicle um, that would go and grit the runways at the airport could be sold for £4,000. The two old Fokker 27 aircraft will only be available to view on special requests as they are situated on airside on the airport itself at Edinburgh. Uh, Ayrshire-based Wilson Auctions, which is organising the event, said it will be uh, it been expanded after being originally organised to offload to airport equipment and fittings from its old security hall. Wilson commercial manager Bob Chambers said, one man's junk is another man's profit, true. <laughs> uh, there is a buyer for everything. Edinburgh Airport uh, were updating their security and they asked us if there would be a market for the scanning machines. We said yes, and they asked if it was possible to have an on-site auction rather than take all the stuff to Airshare. But if we are doing an on-site auction, we need to make it bigger. 
So with that, they asked uh, different departments if they had anything they didn't not or didn't require anymore or was past its sell-by date. And if they did, they'd bring it to the hangar to auction it off. So it grew legs from it being just three or four scanners and roller tables of vehicles, PC monitors and tables and metal barriers. And a spokesman from Edinburgh Airport said, following the tra- uh, transaction from our old security hall to our new facility, we were left with surplus equipment we no longer required. After consideration and research, we decided an auction would be the most effective way of recycling the equipment. Any money generated will be reinvested into the airport, ensuring we continue to provide customers uh, the best for our customers. Now, I just I want to uh, set set aside any fears that the listeners may have uh, about this particular story. And uh, the good news is, ladies and gentlemen, I have confiscated Carlos's credit card. Yeah, nobody panic. I'd only buy one of the Fokker Twenty. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I want a scanner machine. I don't know what I'd use it for, but I, oh, I just what want... the X-ray scanner. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, X-ray random stuff. <laughs> be great fun <laughs> i could i could see you x-raying your computers and laptops and and stuff just to just to just to yeah, see just, to, just see. to see what they look like yeah it's fine yeah. yes i could take the side off but where's the fun in that <laughs> it, it'd be oh. just like owning your own mri machine i know what oh. i wonder what the listeners would uh would, would have <laughs> uh, there's bound to be a lot of the listeners who would probably have the uh, fire and rescue tender the fire oh, yes. engine Yes, yeah. my my boss's other half would probably be very excited about own, owning his own, because so, he he's he's with Bungie's finest. I think he'd yeah. rather enjoy that. Anyway, next story. This is on the travelweekly.co.uk, and the headline is: New Airbus contains more than one thousand three D printed parts. The new Airbus A three fifty XWB contains more than a thousand parts, which were created using three D printing. It's been revealed. The BBC reported that the aircraft manufacturers have only recently been able to use the technique on such a scale with the 3D printed elements on the A350 allowing it to be delivered in time in December last year. James Woodcock, an expert on 3D printing with Rapid News, told the BBC from what I can gather it's certainly an unprecedented in scale. Historically the use of 3D printer parts has been uh, used in military aircraft rather than the commercial passenger jets. The parts were manufactured by uh, Stratasys under supervision by Airbus, the news means that the A350XWB contains more 3D printed parts than any other aircraft. I'm not surprised about this story because more and more things are being 3D printed. Mm. Um, I remember if, if you you might have seen it on Facebook. Actually, there's been a fantastic uh, a story where a doctor had actually used a 3D printer to um, they got a had a a, a blind uh, patient who was uh, having their ultrasound scan. And they discovered this, um, uh, obviously you could listen to the heartbeat and things, but as where you, know, you or I would be able to look at the image, uh, they couldn't do this. And so the doctor um, basically made a 3D rendering of, of, of the, the baby growing inside so that the mum could actually feel you know you know could see the image if you like use it using touch. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful bit of technology. What would you, what would you, if you had a 3D, I think I know the answer to this, probably got the word TriStar in it, but uh, if you, (laughs) if you had a 3D printer, what, what would you print, Carlos? (laughs) I, no, no, you think I'd say a a whole entire TriStar. More or less, yes. I'd, I'd I'd love a a model, a a really nice scale model of a TriStar. Of a TriStar, Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Ironically, you could probably buy one for far less than it would cost for you to have a 3D mm. printer. But uh, They're a dying breed now, Matt, the TriStar. There's what, not what, many... 3D printers? No, 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 <laughs> TriStars. No. We're not going to get into that anyway. No, okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, next story then. Next story then is on the Forbes Life website. Ooh. And... Um, an awesome picture on here. For those of you who go on the Forbes Life website.com, you'll see there's a picture on here with the story showing the cabin interior of the Virgin Atlantic. And the story is uh, Virgin Atlantic aims to elevate the premium experience on the new 787 uh, Dreamliner fleet. Mm-hmm. So with its cheeky marketing, uh, consciously cool vibe, and uh, exemplified by crew uniforms divined by Vivian Westwood. Yeah. No, it's uh, Who? And, and fearless flag waving of high profile owner and charismatic venture extraordinaire Richard Branson. Virgin Atlantic has always had a certain cachet. Now, with the recent launch of its hotly anticipated 787 9 Dreamliner, which we've covered before, Indeed. it may also offer one of the best top tier flying experiences money can buy. With one premium cabin referred to in fittingly British style as upper class. Virgin's version is now raising its game thanks to its new cutting-edge fleet, currently flying from Boston, Logan, Washington, uh, D.C., Duels, Newark, and New York, JFK, to London's Heathrow, with Los Angeles launching uh, in May and San Francisco this fall. Virgin is uh, shooting to have 21 Dreamliners by 2018. Wow. The upper-class experience begins well before arrival in the airport with a complimentary private transfer uh, transfer service for passengers both to and from the terminal within a 75-mile distance. What? That's us us out of the way then. Indeed. Uh, Virgin Atlantic's goal is limo to lounge in 10 minutes or less, (laughs) an aspiration that is arguably dreamier than the actual Dreamliner itself and may alone justify the cost of a ticket for many. And it's about just about on the money, thanks in large part to Zippy, private security channel. There's also a drive-through service option, pre-register and check-in from the comfort of your chauffeured car. Oh, and the Virgin Tick will meet you curbside to grab your bags and hand over your boarding pass so you can head straight to security and on to the clubhouse. There are a few more inviting places that uh, await uh, um, and Virgin's Clubhouse Lounge at Heathrow. Large, modern, and decidedly groovy. It combines a modern or a mod 60s vibe with space age Jetsons inspired chic. Blimey, look at the pictures there. It does. It looks like uh, Starship, Enter- Starship Enterprise. I know. And will instantly make you want to slide up to the bar and order a martini. Shaken, <laughs> not stirred. Thank you, Bond. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a wide variety of delectable dining options, including a show, uh, a charcuterie bar, a what brimming brimming with an array of artis- <laughs> artisanal meats and cheeses, and a la carte menus boasting a world class burger, along with more international. <laughs> go, go to all that, and you have know, a burger. burger. <laughs> I'll hop out of my limo and have a burger. <laughs> yeah, um, the spa offers a range of complimentary services, including head massages as well as uh, additional indulgences like manicures and facials. Top, on my, top of my fee. list, actually. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, upon arrival at Heathrow, there's also a revivals lounge where you can shower and powder your nose. Mm. Something Matt does before oh, every coach absolutely. trip. Absolutely, yes, uh, yes. Almost hourly. Though it's vaguely <laughs> office break room and ambience is uh, underwhelming. 
the upper class cabin on the new Dreamliner isn't a, as alluring as the clubhouse. Uh, the 31 Espresso Leather Zodiac UCS3 seats, mm-hmm. all of which have direct aisle access, convert into fully lie flat beds that are the longest in business class anywhere. And many of its first, uh, oh, and uh, of many in its first class as well. Uh, you'll need, uh, note to DIYs, this one. Oh, you'll right. need uh, a crew member to help to convert your seat before you turn into sleep. Oh. Mingling is highly encouraged in upper class. The redesigned bar, which is equipped with four stools but accommodates eight tipplers in total, is the cabin's focal point and features an interactive TV screen and LED lighting that can be controlled independently of the cabin. So the crew can create a variety of atmospheres depending on the time of day and the vibe of the relative crowd. Pre-dinner cocktails, hours, wine tasting and shared plates of nibbles are also part of the revamped bar experience. When it's time to return to your seat, each pod design allows a guest to comfortably join you for dinner by sitting on your footrest. And after dinner, you can kick back (laughs) with the Vera Touch 2 in-flight entertainment system packed with more than 400 hours of carefully uh, curated entertainment options. Gives a whole new meaning to the Mile High Club, doesn't it? I know. (laughs) There's Wi-Fi as well throughout the aircraft. Um, uh, Although even club uh, upper-class passengers will have to shell out $23 for it. Is, is that it for the entire flight? Yeah, that's not bad. It doesn't seem not too bad. bad, does it? An advanced filtration system means high humidity and lower cabin pressure for less tiring journeys, as we know by the Dreamliner. Mm. That's one of its um, perks. Mm. And also, don't forget, the Dreamliner itself is also 60% quieter than other aircraft and has those extra large windows that can be mm. dimmed electronically as well. Dimmed electronically? So them, uh, they, they look pretty awesome. I love that that lighting, the mood lighting yeah, which they've got yeah. on there, that purple, sort of pinky-purple colour. I don't know. I, I don't know. It just reminds me of a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> just got bad images of that. It's a bit. So eight people at the bar, but only four stools. Are you supposed to sit on the other person's lap? I mean, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It it does look pretty stunning. I mean, it does. Um, yeah. Me, ugh, unless me and Matt win the lottery Indeed. this weekend, yes. we're not going to be booking up a class tickets uh, no. with Virgin. No, no, no. But no. Um, perhaps if there is any listeners at all out there who um have the privilege of flying mm. with virgin in upper class especially on the 787 on the 787-9 yeah. dreamliner do do send us a message let us know yes, your please. experience and what yeah. uh, what you uh, thought of the whole does it live thing. up to the hype yes mm. definitely anyway next story uh this is on the travel mall website and the headline is it's uh, revealed uk airports with worst delays Delays at the UK at the UK's ten busiest airports increased last year when more than a fifth of all flights were considered late. Figures released this morning by the Civil Aviation Authority show that in the past twelve months, seventy-nine percent of all scheduled flights at the ten main airports were on time, down one percentage point on twenty thirteen, and the percentage of chartered flights on time fell four percentage points to seventy four percent. Gatwick had the lowest number of scheduled flights on time, with twenty six percent of them being delayed, and also had the longest average delay of fifteen minutes. London City had the highest punctuality 
punctuality with 88% of flights on time and also the shortage average of delay of seven minutes. Seven minutes isn't really much of a delay, is it? Let's be honest. Heathrow, Manchester and Newcastle all saw improvements on time performance while the other seven airports all saw punctuality drop with the biggest fall at Luton, surprise, surprise, uh, down five percentage points. Across all scheduled flights, the average delay last year was 12 minutes, which was the same as 2013. Across all chartered flights, the average delay was uh, 18 minutes up from 17 minutes the previous year. CAA Group Director for Regulatory Policy Ian Osborne said arriving on time matters to passengers and our work helps ensure consumers have the best data and information to make better and more informed choices. In the last five years, punctuality has been improving and it is therefore disappointing to see a small dip in performance in the last year. Notwithstanding this, the industry has had to deal with some unseasonably poor weather and a number of overseas air traffic control strikes both beyond their control. With this in mind, we expect the industry to continue to build on overall positive trajectory and to do all they can to improve punctuality performance further. Well, indeed, there's not really a lot more you can say to that. <laughs> I've uh, I've never actually had any massive delays when we've been flying before. Um, I, I have once, coming back from Ireland... Um, and uh, the way, it, but that was because the. I mean, well, it, it did literally snow like nothing mm. you've ever seen. So I, I do. But you fully can't do understand. nothing about the weather, though. No, absolutely. Mm. But uh, a lot of the delays are are. I would imagine are predominantly weather weather related, aren't they? If you get so, because thunderstorms obviously near airports are mm. are a big no no as well. And we but had a lot of those last year. It says, like you said, the average delay in two thousand fourteen of twelve minutes. That's mm. not. Um, Massively. It's not a lot. It's not it? a lot, really. No. You can no. live with twelve or fifteen mm. minutes, can't you? I mean, it's when it gets into the hours that it becomes a real. Especially problem. if you're sitting in upper class on Virgin. Oh, it must, I, I, must and you were delayed taking yeah, off. It must it'll be, be torture. It'd be horrible. Yeah, absolutely. How would you cope? We could go to the bar. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Yes. Next story. I don't think they do. No, they don't do beer. I think they do just sort of shorts and stuff. Oh, dear. Scotch That's and stuff not like a that. Bar. Good I know. That's what we need. Not, we, e- not even a gassy lager. We need a, a real proper traditional British airline <laughs> with a bar on board ale. With, yes. with ale pumps and, and stuff like that. I don't know where to begin to tell you how that's not possible. <laughs> oh, I suppose. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, with the beer well, uh, and the I suppose, ale. Well, I suppose you could have a bright barrel, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. or have it just filter before it's... Um, Barreled or no. doesn't work. Like no. Okay, no. okay. Yeah, bright barrel would be your only way. Yeah, and then it wouldn't last very long. So you'd have to make sure that all the passengers drunk it. So British Airways, <laughs> that's for you. Uh, if you're listening, British Airways, can we have a uh, onboard bar yeah. with um, yeah. real ale? Yeah, preferably a, a bright barrel from you know of the, the, the old the light just up the road. Just here. up the road here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the old light ale. You wait. We'll get some response now from BA. Okay, Flight Global next story and American Airlines. Uh, inaugurate 787 in latest step of fleet renewal. Those of you who follow us on Facebook, you'll have seen uh, this pop up this week on our news feed. So American Airlines introduced its first Boeing 787-8 between its Dallas-Fort Worth and Chicago O'Hare hubs today or this week. The latest in a string of new aircraft types at the U.S. uh, carrier, flight AA-2320, the Fort Worth, Texas-based One World Alliance carrier's first revenue dreamliner flight, departed Dallas-Fort Worth 
International Airport at 7.31 in the morning, bound for Chicago O'Hare International Airport, with a water cannon send-off. The 787 operating the first re- uh, flight registration uh, November 801 Alpha Charlie and MSN 40619 is one of five that American has taken delivery of since January. It was delivered in February. This is a re- uh, this really is just another testament to what American is becoming, says Fern Ferdinand's Vice President of Global Marketing at American. Ahead of departure at the gate in Dallas, the 787 represents a transformation of that's happening at American. The fact that we have the youngest fleet in the industry right now and we're taking two new airplanes a week this year. The airline anticipates having 13 787-8s in its fleet by the end of 2015, many of which will replace older Boeing 767-200ERs and 767-300ERs that are being retired. Plans to remove 13 767s this year, uh, which American have. Uh, American is now the first carrier to take delivery of, uh, all, of all of Boeing jets that have ever been built from the 707 all the way through to the 787. That's quite an achievement. Mm, it is. Uh, sales director uh, for the uh, Americas at Boeing Commercial Airplanes at the vent, um, made that comment as well that uh, that they'd had all these different aircraft from all the uh, from Boeing right I mean, god that must have been that's that's a huge amount of aircraft 727 737 or the 777-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-787-
I mean, with any, uh, with any sort of, or sorted out, I think with any new new um, new project, obviously you are going to get teething problems, aren't you? You just got to hope that the that the the life threatening ones, if you like, have already already been kinked out before mm. before it hits the sky. I think it's but good for Boeing as well. It that, is uh, that yeah. American have shown uh, you know a commitment, real allegiance, that, uh, Mac, yeah, uh, that line of aircraft yeah. to to Boeing, and they're certainly mm. no, certainly showing no signs of sort of moving towards some sort of Airbus no. or, or anything no. like that. It's no. Good news, well done, American. Uh, on to the next story. This is one uh, for for me. This this is the tech on man. indeed digitalspy.co.uk, and we were covering um, uh, sort of in flight entertainment a little bit earlier, uh, and also on a previous show. And the headline in this uh, in tech news on Digital Spy is Amazon Prime members will be able to stream content on JetBlue flights. Amazon has teamed up with the American airline JetBlue to provide its customers with access to the instant video library while in the air. The company will provide its films, television shows, Kindle books, music and apps all built into the JetBlue FlyFi hub. The films and television shows will be completely free for Amazon Prime customers while non-members will be able to rent content individually. This marks Amazon's first foray into in-flight entertainment, uh, with Vice President of Digital Video at Amazon, Michael Paul, saying, we will raise the bar in inline entertainment. If you're worrying about getting signal while on board, the streaming service will use JetBlue's Fly High, a satellite internet connection, which is powered by Exceed Internet. The announcement will greatly increase the amount of available in-flight entertainment. Unfortunately, JetBlue only operates within the US and Latin America, so no news of possible deals this side of the Atlantic. Very sad news indeed. But uh, I think that's, we were saying, weren't we, I think Mm. that's the way it's going to go, um, is as soon as they master the the high-speed internet in the air, part of it i mean it really will be the sky's the limit you'll you'll get apple do do their own service i dare say soon with one of the airlines it's um it's very exciting really. it is yeah. It, it's, it seems to be a, it's such a huge thing now having all this entertainment and Wi-Fi on board aircraft it is. and flights and, a, and stuff and in a time where you never use, and of course you know mm. there was a time where even if you did a short haul flight you often had in flight entertainment as we're now sort of like the short haul flights you have nothing mm. um, but long haul flights it's like you know being on a cinema you know yeah I, I wonder just how many people right Matt mm. it's something I just think while you're reading that story yeah. how many people could leave their phones at home iPads tablets laptops at home <laughs> go on holiday yeah. and have nothing to do with any um, interaction at all for for a week's holiday say mm. short answer there is I think I certainly would probably have a nervous <laughs> breakdown uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to cope with that what happened to the good old fashioned book the what okay <laughs> <laughs> a what now? Audio book? Yes, I've heard of those. No, even <laughs> even I take a book on holiday Do with you? me. Yes, an actual paperback. An actual you... paperback oh. book. Yes, it is lipping. Ninety nine point nine nine. Percent of the time related to aviation, right? There's a shock. But yeah. I do take yeah. a book on holiday, right? See, you, what what you need to do is have the the ideal. You need to have one which is a paper based thing of aviation that was printed at Clay's. That's what you. Yes, do. don't <laughs> mention the word Kindle. 
I know, I'm avoiding that subject matter very yes. carefully. Yes. <laughs> Those of you listeners probably have, uh, earlier on in the um, the episodes will know that I work for a, a, a quite a large book printing Indeed, company in the much, UK. Yeah. Yes, as does my best friend. Yes. Yes. So, mm. yes. Nerve-wracking times. Yes. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> books are books are coming back in airy fashion. Yes. Right. It's been, you keep telling yourself that. That's <laughs> so, last story. Yes. Moving on. Uh, on the HuffPost financial education site this was on the uh, HuffPost app as well indeed um which matt has shown me how to get on my mm-hmm. desktop which is quite good yeah. so uh the the headline is the cheapest european airports to fly to this summer and it is a top 10 Woo-hoo. so cheapflights.com has taken its airport affordability index international it's great to know how U.S. airports stack up, but in 2015, uh, it's going to be the year of the strong dollar and great overseas buying power. So we have done another data deep dive and compared the average airfares. Uh, these are round trips and including taxes to mm. uh, the 25 European airports. Um, the users search for in the most uh, in the most first three months of the year. Uh, they calculated the average airfare based on flight prices uh, from almost two dozen airports in cities across the U.S. So it's a twenty-five list, but we're going to we've obviously um, we're yeah, going to do the uh, top ten oh, yeah. of uh, of these airports. So with the airfares, so with the cheapest airfares, then in at number ten. So at number ten, uh, with an average airfare of being uh, seven hundred and thirty-seven dollars, mm-hmm. uh, is Lisbon. Uh, in Portugal. Oh, that's a surprise. Mm. Number nine. At number nine, it is Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, uh, with a average price being $729. Fly into there from Norwich mostly, don't you, if you're yes. going, going anywhere other than sort of Very Jersey. big hub. Very Indeed. big hub. Yes. At number eight. At number eight, it's Shannon in Ireland. Now, where is that? It's in Ireland. Great help, thanks. Yes. We need Mark Maiden here. Yeah, northern or southern Ireland. I don't know. We'll have to ask Presumably, Mark. I presume it's southern Ireland. I don't know. No. $722, that okay, one. Okay, good. We'll get Mark, Mark will probably um, yes. reply to us for Indeed. this. Yes. Yeah. Abusers it, terribly it, yeah, for he it. Will. Yes. At number seven. At number seven, Barcelona International in Spain with $717. Number six. Number six, it's Madrid Barajas in Spain again, uh, $710. Number five. At number five, it's Warsaw Chopin in Poland, $706. Number four. At number four, it's Malpensa in Milan, Italy with $694. Number three. It's Cap... Now, um, my apologies if I get this wrong. Yeah, it's Capodicino in Naples, Italy, (laughs) $694. This one surprised me. Number two. Number two, Orly, Paris, France, $694. And this is a real surprise to me, really a genuine (sighs) surprise. Finally, at number one. Mark Maiden would be proud because at number one, it's Dublin, Ireland with $620. Wow. Wow. That's a a, a real, I mean, (laughs) it's quite a big airport, isn't it? But uh, it's. um, But a lot of of transatlantic flights do do sort of stop in there and stuff, innit? Yeah. Well, it's no different to our Stansted, is it? But it's just, um, well, I don't know. I, I, I feel I should be surprised by that. So these airfares then are a snapshot and prices will vary with exact dates and departure points. However, 
Um, these will show that uh, travel comparisons matter and that with a little homework and flexibility, you may be able to go farther than you thought. Mm, interesting that every single flight in the list, even if you go right down to number 25, uh, which is uh, London Heathrow, Heathrow which <laughs> yeah. is not a surprise, um, uh, but all airfare, all, all, all flights are under $1,000. So for the UK then, I mean, well, we didn't cover 25 or no. all 25, uh, but uh, 25, 25 is Heathrow. Yeah. Uh, Manchester made it in at 20. Edinburgh uh, at 22. Yeah, uh, Gatwick uh, made it in at 14. 14, not bad, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, like I said, as as we said, number one was uh, Dublin Airport. Well done, Mark. Mm, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, he was personally responsible. He was What's personally he? responsible. Excellent. It was yes. his podcast which done it. Yeah. Ah, that'll be it. The yes. Maiden Flight podcast, available on iTunes. Is it? Yes. Wow. <laughs> you know, you should, there, you should, you should consider advertising. I know, I know. <laughs> so that brings our... You've got a face for radio. <laughs> I'm I'm going to put coffee in your tea. Lovely, splendid. Anyway, both wave at the camera. Yes, both wave at the camera. <laughs> Hello. We're going to stop uh, now then, and we're going to leave yes. this uh, yes, part yes, of the yes. segment. Carl's going to punch me now. Yes, yeah. I'm going to beat Matt uh, with my mobile phone. <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, we're going to come back to you uh, after this with a segment from Pip, yep. some military news, yes. and a spattering of air show news. Splendid. So we'll come back to you after this. Hmm. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we oh. go. So we're back. Tea and everything and biscuits and, and Matt's even got some roasted nuts. Okay. It's enough about my personal problems. Oh. <laughs> it, it takes Matt back to his pub days, I think. That's very much so. Yes. 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 Good old, good old when I was the size nuts. of a house, yes. <laughs> half the man, half the man. Indeed. So we've got uh, so we've got a few ministry stories we to have. go through this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, we've got those and Pip's bit and some air show news. Mm. So uh, if you're ready to do some military I news, have. Matt. Let's get cracking. Let's get cracking. So kicking off this week's uh, first news story then, it was some sad news that we had this week uh, regarding a certain aircraft that mm. we hold dear in the UK. Yes. On the Alert 5 military aviation news site, uh, BBMF Lancaster 
suffered an engine fire during a training flight. Uh, this was, of course, uh, our, a Lancaster, uh, part of the Battle of Britain Memorial flight uh, that we uh, had or have here in the UK, which sadly suffered an engine fire mm. uh, on its engine number four right. this week. Um, it was uh, part of a training uh, mission it was doing as part of the VE Day training mm. um, for the VE Day air shows that we've got coming on this year. Mm. And uh, we covered this. It was on our Facebook page mm. with yeah. some photos as well of the um, the fire-damaged engine. If you look on our Facebook page, you'll see them on there. And uh, unfortunately, during this training mission, uh, it suffered uh, an engine fire but managed to land back safely at mm. RAF Coningsby. Um, obviously, all the crew got off fine, and fire services and that were deployed mm. and uh, put the fire out. Well, and well um, done to the crew for getting it on the ground. Safely. Oh, definitely, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it's a massive part of our flying heritage, mm. and uh, was sad, uh, sad news to see it. But uh, I've looked at the shots. Um, if you look on our Facebook page, you'll see the photos of the mm. the fire damaged engine. It uh, it looks bad, but I do believe it's uh, it's salvageable. Salvageable. Uh, and I, I strongly believe, I think, that these guys have got the determination mm. to get this aircraft back flying. Well, I mean, it's such a massive um, part of our, of our sort of heritage, isn't it? I can't yeah, imagine definitely. that it would be re- remained. Because the, did you say there was only a, a couple of them left sort of flying? Two, anyway? yes. We've, mm. got, uh, we've got our one in the UK here mm. and uh, Thumper. And uh, <laughs> the Canadians have got Vera. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, How delightfully British! And obviously, those of you who followed the air show circuit uh, last year will know that uh, we obviously had the one from Canada mm. um, over here last year. Done the um, fly pass at mm. Duxford, which yes. uh, we got some great footage of last mm. year. I bet. Um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll, um, they'll have this back, aircraft back, back flying. Mm. Possibly not. Maybe not for this year. I mean, mm. we'll we'll try and find out more on that for the next show. Yeah. Um, to see if um, if they're going to get this flying this for this season. Um, well, yes, and, and to be fair, Simon posts quite regularly sort of updates yeah, yeah. on on, on uh, that and red arrows and all sorts on the Facebook yeah. page, as I'm sure you've seen. But uh, yes, fingers crossed they'll get it back in the air as quickly as possible. Yes. Next story, this is on Flight Global, and the headline is Lockheed Martin unveils improved Desert Hawk. Uh, Lockheed Martin has unveiled its Desert Hawk version 4, which is no longer designed to break apart from landing and has almost twice the endurance of the third iteration of the small UAF UAV operated by the British Army. The new model has been waterproof to operate in maritime environments that, and can survive landings in water. It can also fly through steady rain and heavy snow, says the company. The new design maintains the 8.2 um, pounds or 3.7 kilogram weight as the Desert Hawk 3, but endurance rises to 2.5 hours from only one and a half hours, and it has an improved 360 degree electro optical infrared full motion video camera. Lockheed Martin business development manager Andy Haller says that the Army does not currently have a requirement for the improved design, but the changes were based on user feedback. Haller said that the flight control system has changed from analogue to digital, but the most notable noticeable difference is when the new model lands. Now we're going to deep stall, uh, so it drops out of the sky within two metres precision. Blimey. That's a very small margin, mm. isn't it? Paula says the uh, original Desert Hawk, when it landed, it absorbed the impact by the wing breaking off. It doesn't do that anymore, 
but you can still disassemble it. The army introduced the Desert Hawk in 2009 and deployed it in combat in Afghanistan and Iraq as an urgent operational requirement. So this uh, particular aircraft then, mm. or, or UAV, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the Lockheed Martin Desert Hawk, um, is, uh, as we said, a remotely controlled UAV mm. manufactured by Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Primary users being the British Army. Right. And uh, the uh, Hawk is used by the 32nd Regiment Royal Artillery of the British Army. It's mm. used as a tactical surveillance system and has seen use in Afghanistan. Right. It's made mostly of foam. Really? Uh, resembling to a hobby-grade uh, model aeroplane. Essentially, guess what's why it only weighs sort of eight pounds, mm. basically. Uh, has an electric um, driving pusher propeller mm-hmm. power plant, so the propeller pushes it along. Right. Uh, making it very quiet mm. and is launched into the air using a bungee cord. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, it carries three small uh, CCD cameras mm-hmm. and has an endurance of about an hour. Yeah. Well, that's what they're saying. They've changed it, haven't they? So it will now it will now endure up to two and a half mm. hours um, with, with a sl- slightly better image resolution. So it's uh... It flies mostly under autonomous control with the mm-hmm. operator keeping track of what's going on with a laptop computer. Ah. Uh. So there we go. Fly-by-wire, the ultimate fly-by-wire. So next story then. Indeed. And the AN-178 Transport makes a one-hour debut flight. Uh, The Antonov-178 Transport um, on the 7th of May conducted its first flight um, just three weeks after it staged a rollout ceremony of the type in Kiev. Two test pilots and one flight and test engineer were aboard the twin jet for its one-hour debut, says Antonov. The aircraft carries the registration um, URAXP, and uh, the crew reported on a successful flight task uh, realization. And the company adds in a brief statement about the milestone event: the a further development of the AM148 regional airliner. The AM178 is intended to perform transport tasks for civilian and military customers. With a rear ramp, it's expected to be capable of carrying uh, up to 18 tonnes of cargo. Antonov claims, or confirms, the 10 transports as being on order for, from launch customer Silkway Airlines, um, as well as a protocol of intent with the Chinese company Beijing A-Star Airspace and Technology. The Chinese partners have expressed their intention to purchase two Antonov 178s, and to also consider the prospect of a Ukrainian construction of a transporter in China, says the airframer. The AM-178 is designed to replace the aged transports, including the Antonov-12, Antonov-26 and Antonov-32. Antonov estimates that the need for aircraft in the new type segment totals 200 units uh, by 2032. Um, is going to be 200 uh, frames Wow. Built. Wow. That's so what do you think? Number. What do you think about that one and uh, the look of that particular? Uh... It looks almost comical, if I'm honest. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's um. It's well, as you said. Was it eighteen ton? It all um, eighteen ton will carry. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's it's very so. I don't know. I thought it. I thought it would have a, have like four. Four engines, perhaps, rather than just the two. I, I have to say, you notice know, if you look at the wings on that, mm. they're swept back. Yeah. If you look at the wings, mm. they're quite. The wings are quite mm. far forward on the fuselage at the top. Mm. The wings are top of the fuselage, and they're swept quite mm. back. 
And again, it has the... Yes, because um, they're normally in the middle of the aircraft, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it has, again, the um, the winglets mm. that we, we see so often on um, yeah. on these aircraft. Um, just a bit of quick info, then, on mm. the 178 Antonov. Um, it was it first flew on the 7th of May, 2015, mm. as just said. Um, there's, only been, there's only one been built so far. Right. Um, the cost of the program has cost so far around about 200 million US dollars. Right. And they're... Currently, you're saying it's going to cost around 20 to 25 million US dollars to buy one of these aircraft. That's not a lot, actually, is it? When you think, um, you, you know, you're buying, well, I, I suppose they're passenger aircraft, aren't they? So they There's are a passenger right there, derivative, the, mm. yeah, the 148, yeah. which, which in this picture on the website is, is flying alongside it. It uh, obviously mm. looks very similar. Um, just uh, the actual military version has got this alert, the rear door that drops mm. down at the back. When we've been looking, when we've been covering sort of Airbus and Boeing and, and the, their, their aircraft that are going for sort of like the hundreds of thousands rather than sort of, you know, 20, 20 million, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions, um, you know, it's uh, it, it strikes me as a very sort of efficient uh, aircraft money wise mm. you know it's not not overly expensive powered by two progress d436 t148 fm turbo fans this mm. particular uh, this aircraft mm. so next new story next story this is on the royal air force website and uh, the headline is um four typhoon aircraft from the royal air force have been welcomed to amari airbase to take their turn in nato's standing Baltic Air Policing Patrols. So the UK is once more taking its turn to enhance NATO's Baltic Air Policing mission with four Typhoon aircraft deployed to Amari Air Base in Estonia. The Royal Air Force Detachment will uh, will argument for, or, sorry will augment apologies for uh, four Norwegian aircraft in Lithuania. Thank you. Uh, to safeguard the airspace of the Baltic states through until the end of August. Uh, the Estonian Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, said, uh, welcomed that the RAF uh, as a demonstration of a, a le- allegiance, alliance, solidarity, uh, carrying a visible sign and sound, which was the whisper of freedom. The RAF Detachment 121 Expeditionary Air Wing, led by Wing Commander Stu Smiley, took over the NATO task from the Spanish in front of Air Vice Marshal Gary Waterfall, Air Officer Commanding Number 1 Group, responsible for the RAF's fast jet capability. Having arrived directly from RAF Lossiemouth after a journey of a little over two hours, the four jets from 6F Squadron of the Royal Air Force are set to play their part in ensuring that aircraft are available on high readiness ground alert to investigate any unknown approaches to the Baltic airspace. The jets will also carry out training and practice scrambles. NATO Baltic air policing missions have been carried out continuously since 2004. The Royal Air Force's previous uh, rollment was in 2014 based out of Lucas. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble saying that. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um... Yeah, Chris Holtby, OBE, uh, the British ambassador for the Republic of Estonia, delivers a speech to a multinational audience upon the arrival of the UK typhoons in, t- uh, in Estonia. 
So, uh, yes, peacekeeping as always. It's good. It's good to see that we can get on with our neighbours mm, across, uh, so. across the sea. There are very few that we don't get on with. I know. Really. I mean, we, we're sort of a relatively... Everyone needs to work nation. together yeah. rather than fight each other. But mm. there we go. That's another Easier story said altogether. Than done, yes. <laughs> so last story then mm. on the Alert 5 military aviation news site again. And uh, mega picture here on here. It is great, aircraft. isn't it? The yes. USAF starts guided test launch of the AIM-9X uh, from the F-22. Uh, the U.S. Air Force has started uh, the inter- or integration phase of the AIM-9X missile on the F-22. And uh, the first guided launch occurred on February the 26th at the China Lake Test Range, and a BQM-34 drone was shot down. Um, the BQ, uh, BQ, oh, the BQM seventy four drone is one that is uh, used quite re- uh, frequently by the air forces as, a, as an unmanned sort of a target practice type drone. Mm. And uh, as the story says, uh, they're testing the launch um, of these AIM nine X from the F twenty twos. The picture on here on the website um, shows um, the F twenty two itself launching uh, this particular missile mm. from uh, from its um, Kind of oh, I was, I was, a wing bay. I was just looking up the actual um, the sidewinder, as they call it, okay. um, the AIM dash nine, uh, just as a, just for a change. Um, and uh, it's surprising actually, the, 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 this particular model they fitted to the F twenty two, it has been in service since nineteen fifty six. Really, it's quite scary, isn't it? Um, and they work out roughly uh, each unit. Really, AIM AIM dash nine X. Um, they reckon they retail at $664,000. Really? That's ex- <laughs> expensive. Expensive uh, specif- missile to fly uh, far at Well, indeed, yes. It's, it's uh, specifications. Weight is 188 pounds uh, or 85.3 kilograms. It's 9 foot 11 inches in 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 length. That's three just over 3 metres in, in new money. Um, it's 5 inches in diameter, so quite a sort of narrow, narrow thing, 127 millimetres. Um, and it's, uh, yes, it's uh, destination mechanism is magnetic influence or imaging infrared. So the AIM then that has been fired from these F-22s, as I said, is, is being fired at these BQM-34s. Now, mm. the BQM-34, as I said, is an unmanned aerial vehicle, right. kind of a, a target practice kind of thing, mm. um, which again first flew in 1965, designed by Northrop, mm. Um has a unit cost of four hundred and five thousand dollars, which is quite expensive to to blow one of these out of the sky. Yes, yes, yes. But it has to be done, I suppose. Yeah, it's it? a, yeah you've got to make sure it's up to the task. Yes, it's a target drone, mm. um, and um, it's remotely controlled, mm-hmm. and it's capable of speeds up to max zero point eight six uh, altitudes, up to forty thousand feet. Uh, it's powered during flight by a single Williams J four hundred turbojet mm-hmm. engine which produces 240 pounds of thrust at mm. sea level. Um, and it's used primarily as aerial target practice, um, as uh, sort of training for enemy yeah. threats uh, by gunnery and missile training exercises. Mm. It's no wonder they're, they're, they're that much a unit then, if you... <laughs> I know the picture uh, which I've found mm. of the of the BQM-74 <clears throat> is it's being launched from a ship. 
Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah, out to sea. Yeah, so. Rather than from a drone directly. Mm. Yeah. But going back to the F-22, obviously mm. this is another another thing that the F-22 mm. is going to be able to do, another, mm. another string to its bow. A very agile craft. I yes, think, yeah. and I hope that we see one of these at yeah. Riyadh this year. They see the F-22 seems to be something that they're quite keen on, on sort of making very multi-role, isn't it? Because mm. it, it, yeah. it can take anything from sort of sidewind, sidewinders to sort of dropping bombs out the bottom, you know. It's it's an awesome aircraft mm. to see. I, I really really do hope we see that this year at the yeah, air shows. It'd be great so. to see that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, well, we hopefully will see one because there's 195 currently uh, been built. <laughs> um, 187 of them being operational aircraft. Wow. Yeah. Um, mostly with the US. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, let's hope we see they'll one bring those. one across the pond yeah. for us. Mm. So that concludes then our military segment for mm. the show. Uh, we have got uh, a bit of uh, air show news for mm. you. Uh, but we do have a segment from Pilot Pip. Yes. So this week, Pip uh, uh, came to us uh, or sent us a segment. Um, luckily, he sent a segment as an email, not mm. as a letter. Otherwise, me and Matt would be full of man flu. Uh, uh, uh. No, I know. Mm. So, <laughs> But uh, Pip did send us a segment uh, all about flying and uh, the effects of having a cold mm, I bet. when flying. Feeling a bit under the weather. Yeah. So we're going to play that segment for you right now. Mm. And now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, you join me from my hotel room in a very warm and sunny Madrid where I'm just about to spend my second night. My first day was a a 4am show and that was followed the second day by another 4am show and according to our flight time limitations if we have two shows that early, shows between 2am and 6am, we're then going to have 36 hours off including two local nights. So here I am about to spend my second local night 36 hours off in Madrid. And it's just as well that I've got this time off because over the last 24 hours or so I've developed a really horrible, snotty cold. You can maybe hear that my voice is a little bit croaky. So it's been nice to have a little bit of time off here. But I've been feeling a little bit under the weather and I've been thinking, ah, you know, what can I talk about for uh, the segment this week? And then I thought, wait a moment, I can talk about my cold. Now you're probably thinking, ew, we don't want to hear about your cold, Pip. Well, hang on, not so fast, dear listener, because colds and flying are actually very interesting, certainly from a safety point of view. Now, we all get colds from time to time, of course, and we know roughly what they are, but actually you get a cold for lots of different reasons. There's a whole number of bugs and viruses that will give you a cold. But generally we're talking about the effects of, you know, a runny nose, all that phlegm that you get clogged up with, blocked sinuses, blocked ears, headache, and a general feeling of not being 100%. And for most people, it's not a big problem. You know, if you've got an office job or you're a bus driver like Matt or a, or if you're a world-famous playboy by day and a DJ by night like Carlos is, well, then a cold doesn't affect you too much. You can carry on with life fairly well as normal. But for a pilot, it's a different story because a cold really can have some serious implications due to the environment we're working in. And the main thing we're concerned about really is the constantly changing pressure environment. The fact that the aircraft cabin is constantly being pressurised and unpressurised as we climb and descend. Now depending on exactly what sort of pilot you are, the effects can be fairly extreme. So if you're a fighter pilot for instance, in your Eurofighter, you might be using very high rates of descent and climbing 
So the ability to be able to clear your ears and equalise the pressure in your head becomes very important. When we're talking about airline pilots and GA pilots, we're not really looking at 10,000 feet a minute rates of descent, more like 500, maybe 1,000 feet a minute. But the consequences and the effect on the body are exactly the same. So what happens when we have a cold? Well, a whole number of things, but essentially our body loses the ability to equalise the pressure between the sinuses and the outside environment. The sinus being that all those uh, spaces in your skull uh, behind the nose and below the eyes. And in between the sinus you have your eustachian tube and the eardrum. And it's the eustachian tube, that small tube from the middle ear, it's the job of that tube to equalise the pressure, to let air flow both ways, so from into your sinus and out of the sinus. Now typically with a modern jet airliner, the cabin altitude, once you're up at cruising level, will be anything between four to 8,000 feet. And the rates of climb and descent will be, as I say, around 500 feet a minute typically. We'll try and keep it to a maximum of 500 feet. But as you're going up or down, as you'll all know if you've been on an aeroplane, you'll feel those pressure changes through your ear as your ears pop. When you open your mouth and yawn or you're chewing gum or you take a drink, it opens up that passageway in the middle ear and lets the air pressurise between the outside and the inside environment. And when you get a cold, if that passageway is blocked, then the air cannot equalise. And you'll feel this through some discomfort, sometimes even extreme pain, due to the pressure on the eardrum as it's either trying to get out when you descend or, or pushing on the eardrum as you climb. And this is exactly why babies, for instance, are always crying when you take off or land. It's a, a natural defence, if you like, to equalise the pressure. The, the act of them crying and opening their mouth opens up that passageway between the outside environment and the middle ear. Now, for babies, it's not such a big deal if you have a baby crying during your flight. Well, it's annoying, isn't it? But it's a different matter if your pilot is crying because he's in pain. And in the most severe cases, it can be a completely incapacitating experience. I've heard stories of pilots who have been unfortunately flying with a cold and they get extreme pain and they just can't function anymore. They're completely incapable of doing anything. And aside from the immediate danger of not being able to fly the plane anymore... There's also a real danger of doing some permanent damage to your ears. Puncturing an eardrum, for instance, will leave you unable to work for, for several weeks. But even if we're not talking about the worst cases, if we're just talking about mild colds, at best it's still a, a distraction. It's keeping you from concentrating on the primary task of flying the aeroplane. And as well as the distraction of trying to clear your ears on the way down, it also just degrades your performance generally. You know, you're feeling a little bit under the weather, your muscles are aching a little bit, you're tired. You know, we've all been there. It's not an ideal situation for flying an aeroplane. It's also not very good cockpit etiquette, for want of another word, because, you know, you're in a small metal tube with this very dry, recirculated air. So if you're sitting next to a guy for a couple of hours and you've got a cold, chances are you're going to pass it on to him, and he won't thank you for that. Now, it may be just me, but whenever I have flown, where I've been a little bit under the weather... I've always only found it a problem during the descent rather than the climb. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. I did try to find out. So as the aeroplane is climbing, the cabin altitude is also climbing. Obviously not at the same rate or up to the same level that the aircraft is going to. But it is gradually going up and therefore the pressure in your head is gradually getting higher than the air outside. So therefore to equalise the pressure that air needs to come out from your sinus and middle ear 
to equalize with the outside pressure. And then conversely, when you're going down, when you're descending, the cabin altitude is slowly increasing or getting lower to the ground, to put it another way. And therefore, having already equalized your air pressure during the cruise, the air then wants to get back inside your head to equalize. And it's that I find tends to be more difficult. Going up, not such a problem, but coming down, it seems you sometimes have to work a bit harder to get the air to, to equalize. You know, doing that, um, it's called the Valsalva maneuver, where you hold your nose, close your mouth and blow like you're blowing up a balloon and it pushes out on the air drums to try and make them pop. Now, I mentioned briefly GA pilots and the problems are exactly the same for them. Although they're generally not going as high as we are in the jets, you know, they're only going up to two, three, four, maybe 5,000 feet usually. So the difference in air pressure between the ground and their cruising level is not as great. But the fact that their aircraft are unpressurized, their rates of descent that they're experiencing are generally a little bit higher. So maybe 1,000 feet a minute, maybe 1,500 feet a minute. And you'll really start to feel that on your eardrum and in your inner ear. And that, again, can cause, if you've got a bad cold, some real pain and discomfort. The advantage we have in the airline is, is that we can control the rates of descent a little bit. We can, you know, increase it or decrease it. Whereas in a, a GA aircraft, you don't have that option except to actually descend lower. So I've heard stories of people in their GA aircraft, their Cessnas and things such like Sir Carlos is flying, where they've had a cold and they're starting to feel some pain on the way down. The only way they can stop that is to climb back up again to altitude and then let the pain go away, then descend very, very slowly so it makes it more manageable. So flying with a cold is a bad idea. That's the general rule. If you've got a cold, well then don't fly. Now that seems like a very easy solution, doesn't it? Don't fly phone in sick. But actually, I bet if you were to take a straw poll of a bunch of pilots that 100% of them will admit to having flown at least on one occasion with a cold. Probably quite often, in fact. And why is this so when the, the dangers and the consequences are so well documented and, and so obvious to us all? Well, a couple of factors really. Money being one of them, if you're being paid by the trip or by the hour, for instance, then you do not want to have to take two, three, four days, maybe even a week or more off work to recover from a cold. Because all the time you're lying in bed watching daytime telly, you're missing out on earnings. And secondly, it comes down to the sickness policies of individual airlines. Now at SafeJets, our sickness policy isn't perfect, but it's certainly not as uh, bad as some other ones I've heard about. We can have up to 15 days sick per year and still be paid. After 15 days, it's another story. But certainly at other airlines, if you were to call in sick, for instance, more than three times in a year, you'll then be called in to see the management and you'll have a disciplinary process started against you. And I think policies such as this, they're fairly common at most companies anywhere, but they're designed for people who are not flying aeroplanes. When you're talking about pilots, you have to take into consideration the, the environments and the, some of the special dangers that they face. And often the sickness policies of companies do not address that at all. You know, the policies are written by HR people, certainly people who don't understand flying, and they're just not appropriate often to the pilot lifestyle. You know, we all get colds. We can't help getting a cold, even if you're a pilot. But sickness policies and potential loss of earnings um, can be a very persuasive factor when you're weighing up whether to call in sick or not in the morning. So for me, sitting in my hotel room now with a stinking cold, if I get called up to go flying tomorrow, well, I will be calling in sick. 
Luckily, it's my last day tomorrow, so I'll just be going home anyway. But I'm certainly not in a fit state now, or probably not for a couple of days to go flying. And as I say, I'll admit I have done it before, and it hasn't been a comfortable experience at all. Not one that I'd, I'd wish to repeat. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about colds and flying. I need to go and blow my nose now, and then email this little segment across to Carlos. I hope I don't pass him on a computer virus. Oh, bad joke. Bad joke. Sorry about that, folks. Must be, uh, must be my ill health. Anyway, until next time, fly safe and stay healthy. Over to you guys in the studio. Bus driver? Oh, I am offended. Really? <laughs> I, he, did, he did attach a note to he the, to yes, the yes. email saying that he apologised for calling you a bus driver. Bus driver, how dare you? <laughs> how it. very dare you? That's it. Immediately unfriended on Facebook. <laughs> that, that, is a, that is a terrible thing. Oh, well... I hope you're. I hope you're feeling a lot better soon. You don't. He did well say. Pip did say. Very under, very weather, under yeah. the weather, and he he's did. not at home either. Recording that, he was away. So was he? Yeah, oh, I suppose so he's in Madrid. Yes. He's got to fly home. There are worse places you could be, I suppose, if you were yeah. going to, um, yeah. you know, be a little under the weather. Well, Pip, uh, we wish you uh, get well soon, and uh, thanks very much for that segment again uh, this week. Thoroughly enjoyed that segment. Um, very much enjoyed it. Don't forget you can uh, catch Pip on uh, his show, Plane Safety Podcast. You can find him on iTunes. Download Plane Safety Podcast there each week. Uh, Pip tries and get a show out each week, um, but he sometimes uh, sometimes doesn't manage to get one mm. out because he's flying everywhere around the world. because you keep giving him homework. I know, <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, find him on iTunes, download his show, and uh, you, can, uh, you can find more about him on there. Mm. So uh, we've got uh, a bit of uh, air show news for you next. And uh, then we have uh, just a couple of shout-outs to put out uh, to a couple of people at the end. Mm. So air shows then, uh, everything is moving along very nicely. We've had some great weather to, for the start of the air show season, which has been great. So in May, we are in May. Uh, we've got uh, the VE Day Anniversary Air Show at Duxford, Cambridgeshire mm. on the 23rd and 24th of May. Um, hopefully, I mean, I don't think it's gonna, they're going to have uh, Thumper ready, the no. uh, Lancaster. They might do. They may they surprise may. you. Um, but uh, all the other, uh, a, the BBMF aircraft are going to be here um, doing the fly past the spits, the hurricanes. Mm. Um, and all the other great aircraft there. So make sure you can make that one on the 23rd, 24th of May at Duxford at Cambridge. As I said, there's going to be loads of aircraft there, um, and that will be a definite one to to see this year. Um, also in May, as we said in the last show, you've got the Cold War Jets open day at Bruntingthorpe Proving Grounds in Leicestershire on the 24th of May. That's going to be another awesome one, which um, unfortunately I can't make. In June, moving on to June, uh, we're going to cover a bit more of June then. Uh, you've got the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight on the 13th of June mm. at uh, London Biggin Hill Airport in Kent. Um, I went to that one last year. That was a really good show. Yeah. Um, some great aircraft um, lined up for there, adding new aircraft all the time. Okay. Uh, RAF Cosford Air Show on the 14th of June. Mm. Um in Shropshire, bit of a far trek to go that one, but uh, still well worth uh, well, going well worth for that trip. one. Yeah. Uh, we have a cancellation on the nineteenth oh. and twenty-first of June, the Western Park Model Air Show, mm. 
um, has been cancelled, unfortunately. Um, oh, sorry, the, sorry, I, I do digress. The Whitehaven Air Show, sorry, mm. Cumbria, has been cancelled. Actually, hasn't um, uh, Southend's um, Air Show officially been cancelled? I, I seem to remember when we did our interview with Lauren, Lauren she was yeah. saying they were hoping to get it up and running. And I'm sure I saw on the news wires um, either this week or last week that, that, that Southend is officially not going ahead now. I think that probably mm. is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have Shame. to check for that one. Yeah. But, um, we've also in June got the National Armed Forces Day at Guildford in Surrey on the 27th of June. And there's going to be loads of stuff there. Again, uh, mm. a lot of military armed forces stuff on the ground as well. Yeah. Uh, with an air display as well to complete uh, to complete the day. Mm. And also at the end of June, uh, the, on the 28th, is the North East Lincolnshire Armed Forces Day nah. at Cleethorpe Seafront in Lincolnshire. Now we're talking. Um, they're going to have the RAF Falcons parachute display team there. Uh, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight will be there, hopefully with the Lancaster. But if not, they'll have the Supermarine Spitfire, Hawker Hurricane, and they're also going to have the Avril Vulcan B2 uh, as well. So that should be another good show mm. for the end of June. There's, there's, there's some good. There's some good. Um, where say we're into real, real aviation series. You know, it's it's all getting mm. a bit. Um, some additions now. to Riyadh yes. for this year in July. Um, there's a couple. There's quite a few. There's new additions being made all the time. We've got some uh, Panavia Tornado GR4s. Two of those extra coming into Riyadh. Also from the Czech Republic Air Force, they're sending in a MI-24 Hind. That's the uh, helicopter, the big gunship helicopter. Mm. Also the German Air Force uh, sending in a Panavia PA-200 Tornado. And the Italian Air Force are sending uh, two of those as well, the Panavia A-200 Tornado. Mm. Um, also as well, the civilian on the civilian side of things, um, there's... Uh, a three aircraft being brought in by Textron. They're the company that um, uh, produced the Textron Airland Scorpion, uh, which we saw at Riyadh last year. Mm. They're sending in a Beechcraft AT-6C Texan II and a Beechcraft Baron SMISR aircraft as well. Um, so that's uh, loads. I mean, there's a, they're adding aircraft all the time to mm. Riyadh. It's going to be there's going to be so much aircraft to see, Matt. It's is, just is, as well we're there for two days. I can say, is that going to be enough two days? <laughs> I think yeah, we're going to have a busy two days. Mm, definitely on very that. busy two days, aren't we? Right. So moving on then to a few shout outs. Uh, we want to make a mention uh, on the show this week to uh, one of our favourite uh, photographers um, on or who, who's uh, one of our friends of the show. Uh, Dan Harring- uh, Hannington, uh, he is um, the chap who brings us DH Aviation yeah. uh, photography on Instagram. And uh, he this week reached 13,000 uh, followers on Instagram. Wow. Um, so those of you who got Instagram, if you, check, uh, if you look up DH um, underscore aviation underscore photography, uh, on Instagram, you'll find uh, Dan's page on there, and he's got some absolutely fantastic photographs. They are stunning. They, they are maybe, stunning yeah. um, of various aircraft around the UK. One of the latest ones he's put up um, on his Instagram site being of a British Airways Airbus A380 um, departing London Heathrow uh, to LAX. Um, uh, the sky behind looks almost not real. I know. It? It's, the, the definition is incredible. Some, some of his photos progress. look like 
Um, like, drawings. Like, just like drawings, yeah, paintings. Do, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Dan, uh, he reached, as I said, 13,000 uh, followers on mm. Instagram, and he also follows us on Facebook as well mm. and Twitter. So congratulations to Dan. Indeed. Well done mm. on that. Highly recommended. Um, also on the Facebook page, uh, we're going to say a hello to as well a few people, uh, David Barnshaw and mm. uh, Tony Kitchen, Simon Cantwell, Tina Green, mm. And Jacob Darlington Brown as well. Uh, they're all friends on Facebook who uh, who like uh, like lots of the news stories you post on there. So hello to you mm. guys as well. Indeed. So there we go. That's it. That's Episode 60. sixty in the can in the as can it were. again. Yeah, yep. definitely. So don't forget, um, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, yeah. To uh, go to, uh, there's also the website. It's www.plaintalkinguk.com. You've got links to the show and getting in contact. You've also got uh, links to fantastic photos. And a few of the people that we've been talking about uh, like um, the the photos we were mentioning. You've also got Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. And it's twitter.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. Excellent. Um, just a quick one as well. I forgot to mention as well, um, hello to uh, Alan Biles as well. Mm. Um, big thanks to Alan because um, he uh, he just he, got, he flew over the airfield yesterday. And, oh, did he? Uh, yeah, just uh, he sort of... Uh, oh, yes, you had a lesson yesterday, didn't you? Yes, I did. How did that go? Oh, I had my, I had two more solo flights. Two more, oh dear. Yes, on my own. Well, you survived, obviously. Yeah, I'm here. still here. Yes. Um, yeah, I, um, I had, um, blimey, it was nearly an hour and a half in the right. sky, but I had another uh, 20 minutes on my own Ooh. solo, um, which was brilliant at the end mm. of the day. And uh, yeah, just done two circuits. You showed you showed me one of your landings. Actually, yes, didn't you? yes, yes, I did have the, um, the, the, the camera on the camera on in the uh, in the cockpit mm. of the yes, Cessna. Su- surprisingly, uh, not as bouncy as I expected. I, I expected you to at least leave the ground once. I was just, <laughs> just, very good job. It was brilliant. It was mm. it was so it was really good. It's a lovely weather. The mm. weather was fantastic, it was, yeah. and it was very warm. In stark contrast to this morning, it has to be said. Yes, a bit windy today. Mm, very much so. Um, but no, I had a really good lesson. Um, yeah. Great. There's loads of activity at the uh, mm. at the um air, the flying okay. school yesterday, yeah, including Alan Bale, including Alan. Yeah, he mm. just gave us a fly past um, with his pit special, which was ah. good to see Alan. Um, that, yeah, that's what that's what Lauren flies as well, isn't it? Yes, special. Lauren, yeah. she flies a pit special as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alan's one being slightly different because Alan's one is an open cockpit. Oh, yes, which which made for some um, quite interesting uh, ATC calls between him and um, Richard, our controller in the control room oh, at the, the school oh. yesterday. Because um, I'm uh, almost uh, terrified it, to ask. Uh, <laughs> no, well, to, to be fair, it is an open cockpit, so bear that in mind. But it was mm. a bit <laughs> right. You know. Yes, yes. Where'd what? You... <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, but uh, he didn't land. But hopefully, fingers crossed, Alan's mm. going to uh, come into um, to the the, the uh, airfield next Saturday when oh, I'm no. there and yeah. land. Oh, good. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. That will be good. Yes, yeah, so that's it. We're going to be off then. We're going to leave you be. And uh, mm. don't forget to join us next week for episode number 61 yep. of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Fingers crossed we have got a huge guest lined up for next week. He was due to be on this week, but due to operational um, stuff, he couldn't make it on the show today. But fingers crossed, touch wood and fingers and toes and everything, Yes, um, we're going to have him on the show next week, which will be 
Awesome. Indeed, that's the trouble with the aviation industry. They're all so very busy. <laughs> so from me, Carlos, then, it's a sunny start to the weekend. Goodbye. Yeah, and, and from you, Matt. And it is also goodbye. So goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>